Good morning and welcome to each of you. Greetings in Jesus' name, the one we are here to worship and to honor again, and the one who gives us purpose in life and a hope. Welcome to our visitors. I also see um, Ernie Byler here and his fiancée this morning. God bless you in your week and preparing for your wedding for this uh, coming week, or for this week. Good to see you here this morning. So let's pray for them also this week in their preparations. Larry read from our text there in 1 Peter chapter 4. As he mentioned, we've been going through this book, and so uh, I was going to ask you what you think is one of the, the one of the main themes of First Peter. Uh, so I wonder what how you would answer that, or what is First Peter about, or what is one of the things he talks about? One of I want to hear from you. What is one of the things that First Peter talks about a lot? Suffering. Larry already answered that question, and so I was wondering if you were listening. Yeah, suffering. First Peter is a lot about suffering. That is one recurring theme in this letter. And Paul wrote this letter to encourage the Christians who suffered in their faith in Christ, and he encouraged them to be holy and to live a life of trust in God as they suffer in their faith. Over the years, many people have suffered and lost their life because of their faith in Christ. There's one researcher estimated that 70 million Christians have been martyred for their faith. 70 million Christians. And it's estimated that half of those were in the 20th century. The International Institute for Religious Freedom estimates that 8,500 believers continue to be martyred each year. Those are astounding numbers. I don't know how you would determine how many have been martyred over the years. 70 million sounds like a lot to me. People who've died because of their faith. Can you imagine meeting them all in heaven one day? Amen. It will be a grand reunion. But to think of that many people losing their life for the sake of Christ. And it continues to be that way that people are willing to die for their faith today. It began after Jesus' resurrection. We have the account of Stephen being willing to die for his faith. So uh, for a message this morning, if you want to give it a title, it is uh, Hard Times and Hard Lessons. And there are five principles that I want us to think about here from this portion of Scripture that Larry read from in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. And those things that we want to look at is the, the, certain, the certainty of suffering, the purpose of suffering, the attitude of suffering, the cause for suffering, and then the reaction to suffering. So first of all, thinking about the certainty of suffering, we have here in, the, in verse 12, he starts out with the word beloved. And 
some translations use the word dear friends, or we, when we think of, we don't really address people saying beloved. We, would, we might say dear friends or, or to be, and it's, it's a thing of showing compassion. And this is what Peter is doing as he's writing this letter. These are people that are very dear to him, and he cares immensely about them and has compassion, about, has compassion for them. And he says that we're not, they're not to be surprised at the trial of their suffering. Not to think that it's some strange thing that they're facing this suffering. And he tells them that they're to be ready and prepared for this. And he says not if, not if they face it, but when. Because it is a reality for, the, for these people. They were facing persecution. As history tells us, we believe that the emperor Nero was, was ruling at that time and very cruel to the Christians and did terrible things in the way that he persecuted them. He would torture them immensely. And uh, he would even put tortures to them. He would light them on fire at nighttime. The Christians, he would, he would light them up to, to, make, to lighten his, his gardens where he had his parties, burning the Christians to make light so that he, he can have his pleasure time. Awful things that he did. He would put uh, hide on the Christians from the, from the uh, wild beasts and, and make them look like the wild beasts. And this was all for pleasure, for his pleasure. Because also he was tormenting them and accusing them of burning Rome when he himself had done that. But he was making it appear like the Christians did that. So Peter writes to Christians and he tells them to not think it a strange thing or to be surprised at the things that are happening to them. In fact, he tells them to expect it. The Apostle Paul also mentions about persecutions in his writings. So this is not, not, nothing new to the believers in the early church. Philippians 1.29 For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Suffering was a part of their life. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. These verses are, are very clear that believers who are living for God should expect persecution. And, and uh, he didn't, Paul and Peter were that way, that they did not want the believers to be surprised at what they were facing. And so as we think about our own things that we face in life, our hard things, suffering, whatever you want to call it, I know we're not faced with the physical persecution that they were, but I think that here again there's a lot of, principle that we learn from the scripture here because if, if we're truly living for God and living out his commandments there, there's a good chance that there will be times when we will be ridiculed and mocked for taking a stand of truth there is a lot of teaching out there today about living uh, a good wealthy or healthy lifestyle and that when we're living for God that we face, that we should be living in that kind of, uh, we should expect wealth and health. There's a lot of teaching on this and a lot of people that follow this. 
The idea that God wants us to live a carefree and comfortable life and that we are not, and if we are not, it is because of sin in our life. So this teaching is, is not a new one. They, they struggled with this here even in First Peter. It's obvious as Peter was writing about this. The thinking was already common at Jesus' time. We know that of the account of when the one account of when the disciples had came across the blind man. The question was was asked, "Why is this man blind? Is it because of his sin?" And what did Jesus tell them? He clearly told them it's not because of his sin, but so that God would be glorified. God allowed suffering in this man's life for a greater purpose, and it was not because of his sin. It had nothing to do with his sin. The idea that a believer will live a prosperous life without any suffering, and that God automatically wants to heal all people of their sicknesses and take away all their problems, this is not biblical. In fact, it's, it's a false doctrine. The Bible does not teach us that we're going to be exempt from the suffering and the hard things in life. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't think it's some strange thing. It is normal and to be expected. I think we need to be careful also when when we are sharing our faith with others that we don't make it sound like some glamorous religion or a glamorous lifestyle. Because we are aware that we will not be, that we are aware that we're going to face hard things in life. And we don't want to, when we're spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel with others, we don't want to give that idea that following Jesus makes life simple and easy. That's not necessarily the case. Yes, it is the, the thing of having peace and we can have joy and we can spread that joy, but it's not because of being able to have an, an easy, simple life. We are not promised that. We are promised life everlasting, yes, but we're not promised an easy life here in this earth. We can be forgiven and we can be overcomers, and we're promised everlasting life when we live in obedience for him. Thinking of the purpose of suffering, why do we have to suffer? Why do we have to suffer? Doesn't God love his children? And we know that God is all-powerful. So why does he allow suffering? Because if he, he can control everything, he could eliminate suffering for us. But here in verse 12, it gives us one of the reasons why we face these trials. He says, it is to try you. Suffering is... To test you. Proverbs 17.3 says. The fining pot is for silver. And the furnace for gold. But the Lord trieth the hearts. Now I've never seen gold or silver being. I should say I never saw gold. I guess I did see some silver being refined already. But it goes through a process. Gold and silver goes through a process of refining. Where they put it in a, in a very hot kettle. And then they try and get all the discrepancies out of that. To make it the true thing. And that's what God does to us 
in our lives also. God puts us through a refining process over and over again so that we become the person that he wants us to be. James 1.3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Romans 5, 3 and 4. But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. So here in those, those verses there in Romans, it, there's three things that it, that it teaches there. Endurance, perseverance, and it's to, to build character and our hope. Suffering has a way of reminding us to be humble or to, to, to be humble. When everything is going well and we have a successful, everything's being going smoothly and very successful, it's easy for us to become proud of what we can accomplish. And so God has a way of humbling us over and over again. Suffering reminds us of our dependence on God. There's something about suffering that draws us to God. And it makes us aware of our need of him. And trials are to, they are to build us, they're to bring us to maturity. And God often uses them to shape us and to prepare us for something, I think for something better or to make us a better person and even to know how to relate to others that go through these things. Because the things that we go through, Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. So whatever happens has happened before. There's others that went through that. And we can be a blessing to each other and, and be an encouragement to others because of the things that we went through. Testing reveals the real faith of believers. Why did God test Abraham? When he asked him to go take his son Isaac up on that mountain and he was asking him to sacrifice Isaac. Why did God do this? The Bible tells us that Abraham was a man of faith. He was a man of obedience. And I don't, I don't think that God tested, he did not test Abraham to figure out the limit of Abraham's faith. God already knew the faith that he had. But I, th I think one of the reasons that God tests us, it is really to prove who we are. Even to ourselves. God knew that Abraham was faithful. He knew that, but he still asked him to go sacrifice his son. He tested Abraham so that Abraham would be clear about his own faith. And I believe God does that to us so that we know where we stand with our own faith, our faith in God. Abraham's faith was proved to himself, to, to himself when he put that faith into action. There are those that are, when they are tested, will fall away. There's something about suffering and trials that uh, they do something to us. When we face trials, there's something about either drawing, it either draws us closer to God or it can make us drift apart from God. 
And when we respond in a positive way, there's, there's something about it that deepens our trust and our faith in God. When we respond in a positive way to the things, the hard things that we face, and we do face hard things. We will face hard things. But it has, God wants to do that to us to really sharpen who we are, to shape the person that he wants us to be. Thinking about the attitude of suffering. In verse 13 it says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. In our natural minds, in our natural bodies, to think about rejoicing and suffering is, is totally against our human nature. You think about it, if you ever get hurt, if you're hitting a nail and you, and you miss the nail and your finger becomes the target, or if you're, say, you're sewing and the needle goes through your finger, it's not something that you really rejoice about. That's not what our natural man does. We don't really get excited about getting hurt. It doesn't feel good. But scripture here, Paul, Peter tells us that we are to rejoice when we suffer. Why would anyone ever rejoice about suffering? And yet it's, it's clear here that he's telling us that when we think of Christ's suffering and all that he went through, and then as we suffer, because when we suffer and go through those hard things, it has a way of making us think of what Jesus actually did and the extent that he went for us and suffered because he was righteous and didn't do anything wrong, but he suffered for us. And so suffering is there to remind us of what Jesus did for us. And it takes God's spirit to be able to rejoice in times of trials. Because our tendency is to look at things and, and we, want, we ask God why, or we, we think why we need to go through this. And we, and we try to look for a, a way to escape this suffering. But there is something also here that Peter mentions that what it does it in bringing out God's spirit within us. Because when we are faithful during hard times, during trials, it's evidence of God's spirit within us. It's evidence of God dwelling within us. And what about what a wonderful testimony that is when we can display that in our lives when we're going through hard and difficult things in life because others will notice that. People, unbelievers, people that do not have their faith in God when going through difficult things respond in a totally different way and will become bitter. But as God's spirit is within us and we face those hard things, there's evidence of that. Verse 14 tells us that if you are reproached for the name of Christ, it uses the word here in the King James, it says, happy are ye. And the word happy there, another word is blessed. You are blessed when reproached for his spirit rests on you. I don't know that we often think about our trials and our sufferings being a blessing. But that's what Peter is telling us. You are blessed.
God has a way of refining us. And when we can have that kind of attitude of being willing to suffer for, for what he puts us through or takes us through, it's a way of bringing glory to God. And if you think about the people that are persecuted, it's often, and especially think of persecuted Christians, they're being persecuted because of their faith, because they're different. Here in our country, maybe we, not, we don't face it to that extent. And yet, I think as time goes on, we, we do face that more and more. And there are those who do face that even amongst their own families because of the stand that a person takes that their family will reject them or kind of think they're odd because they're different. As Christians, we, we are different and we should look different and act differently. We're living in a time when we are faced and challenged with freedom of speech. We hear those things over and over again. People do not want to be challenged or confronted according to God's word with the way the lifestyle that people want to live. As time goes on, I think these things will only intensify. And so they're going to try, people will try and, and uh, govern what we say and what we're allowed to say or not to say. But I find it amusing that in all that, that why is it that Christians are usually the target of what is being said and other religions are okay with what they say, but Christians, not so much. And so as, as believers, we don't need to be afraid of what we stand for because truth is truth. And that does not change. Are we going to be willing to stand for the truth and to speak it, no matter what we face? Peter did this when he was confronted. You have that in, in Acts chapter 5, uh, 40 and 41 there. This was uh, when they were beaten for, what, for teaching and preaching in, in the synagogues. They were going about teaching. And in verse 41 it says, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They're again bringing the thing out of rejoicing. How do you go away rejoicing that you just suffered? They walked away rejoicing. I find that amazing and a blessing, a tremendous testimony to be able to walk away rejoicing that they could do this for the cause of Christ. Not something the natural man does. That is God living within us, his spirit within us. That, we could, that a person can walk away rejoicing when suffering for Christ. We'll look at the cause of suffering. We have that age-old question, is suffering a direct result of sin? And how do you answer that? It can be maybe, maybe not, or sometimes. Suffering is not always a result of sin. I alluded to that before with the account there of Jesus, the disciples and Jesus with the blind man. He had told his disciples that the man born blind was not suffering blindness because of anyone's sin. That was not the case. And yet, suffering sometimes is a result of sin or a lack of unbelief. We have that with Zechariah. 
when the angel came and told Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist. We know the, the account there of that the scripture tells us that he went blind. The angel said, you're going to be blind because of his unbelief of what the message was from God. David suffered many problems and persecutions even at the hand of his own son Absalom because of his own sin in being a poor father and a husband. David faced hard things because of his sin. Was his suffering all because of his sin? Probably not. But there were times that he, he faced extremely difficult things because of the, the consequences of his sin. And in these verses here, in verse 15 and 16, I'm going to read this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory, glorify God on this behalf. In these verses, Peter is showing us that we should consider the reason of our suffering. We're not going to be blessed if, we're, if we suffer because of our own sins. And he specifically says we shouldn't be suffering as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody. He mentioned those things. And I'm sure there's many others that could be put in there with that. But he's saying that we shouldn't be suffering because of these things. That should not be a part of us as Christians. That's not what we should be suffering for. Why are you suffering? And I want us to think about that. Think about that in your own life. And I know we, we can almost become overwhelmed and anxious at times because of our suffering. And we want answers from God of why am I going through this? But I think God will reveal it if it is because of sin. And if you're sensitive to, to the Holy Spirit, I believe that God reveals that. If we're suffering because of sin, God will tell you that. And if you're, if you're willing to listen to his spirit, he will tell you what that is. And so I want to encourage us that we don't become anxious and overcome with anxiety because of suffering and hard things that we go through. Because those are things that believers will face. We should be suffering. We shouldn't be suffering because of sin and these things that are mentioned here. But we should be suffering as a Christian. And we don't need to be ashamed of suffering in that way. And we face suffering also because we live in the here and now in this natural, in our natural bodies. And as long as we have live in that state, we will face suffering. We don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed about our faith, and we don't need to hide the fact that we are Christians. But he says here, he encourages that we should be praising God, that we bear his name. That's what the disciples did there in Acts. They went away rejoicing because it was for the sake of Christ. And we need to remember that, that our suffering is temporary. That is temporary. We will face that. But salvation is eternal. And I want, us to, to, I want to encourage us that we can grasp that and remember that. Our suffering is temporary, but salvation is eternal. So what is the reaction 
to suffering. Looking at verses 17 through 19. Interesting verses here, especially verse 17. It says, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. What is the judgment that Peter refers to? And who is the one that is doing the judging? Judgment is a recurring theme throughout the scripture. And God's plan includes a final judgment on the wicked and all those who reject the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as payment for their sin. Is the judgment that begins at the house of God the same as the judgment of the wicked? Maybe some hard questions. And yet if you look at the context of this passage, of this chapter, the context of verse 17, the context explains more about the judgment that begins at the household of God. As you, as you look at this chapter, Peter is, is encouraging the church. He's encouraging the house of God, which was facing persecution. He was encouraging them to endure, to persevere. In verse 5, Peter reminds them that the wicked will face God's judgment. And Peter reminds them that they need to hold to a higher standard than they once did. As you look back in the prior verses there, even in verse 3, he, he says them the past part of your life, and then he mentions those sins there. And he's saying that people that are living in that kind of, uh, that are living that kind of life, they're going to be judged. The fire trials that they were facing were to help refine them. He says that there in verse 12. We looked at that verse. And so God allows difficulties and suffering in the lives of his people as believers to purify us. And when we face trials and are persecuted for the cause of Christ, we share in the sufferings of Christ, as mentioned there in 13 and 14. And as we share in his sufferings, it causes us to, to become more like him, to, be, to know him better, and a desire to be more like him. And it's not for our harm, but, but to make us more like Jesus. And judgment for the children of God can be, can be considered discipline. Because if you think about what judgment, the word judgment can actually mean um, decree or justice. So when you think of us facing, of God's people facing judgment, is that part of the judgment that he's talking about here? For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Peter was talking to the, the first generation Christians. This is where judgment was starting, right with the people of the, of the household of God. It was the people of that time, and he was saying, where does it start? It starts in the household of God. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 4. I'm going to read a, a few of these verses here, and it gives us a picture of 
people, God's people facing judgment. Hebrews 11, 4. I'm going to read through verse 11. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin, and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have, laid, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, and nevertheless afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Suffering here, the cha- it says, the chastening of the Lord, it's designed to purge us from our sin and, our, and, and from our lives and to teach us obedience. Think about a, a father. A loving father does not discipline the neighbor's children. But a loving father will discipline his own children in his own household. That's where it starts. And I think it's the same way as, uh, that he's saying here, judgment starts in the household of God. Does that mean that we are being judged in the here and now because of our sufferings? I think it has something to do with it. The suffering that we go through now, we're not going to face a final judgment that is coming for the unbeliever. But God is allowing suffering in our lives today to refine us and so that we don't have to face that final condemnation as the unbeliever. I don't know that I can fully grasp that. But I was blessed in looking at this and thinking that, where does this start? Where does this suffering start that he talks about in First Peter? For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that, should, that obey not the gospel of Christ? We can call our suffering judgment, you can call it whatever you want. It's hard things. It's hard things that we face. Do we face harder things than unbelievers? I don't think so. But I am amazed at how that unbelievers can go through life um, and, and sometimes it, it appears like they can, they're living a good, decent, smooth life and things are going fairly well for them. I watch people, unbelievers, the way they relate to each other and they can really give it to each other and, and just say really... I would say nasty things to each other and they don't seem to be affected by it. As believers, if we would talk like that to each other, we would be offended. And rightly so, because believers should not be talking like that. And so I'm saying that maybe to use it as an example, because of our faith in God, our suffering is different for us than an unbeliever. Because an unbeliever Yes, they might think of God. It might may cause them to think about, about God, but many times it makes them drift away from God and be bitter. For us, it's to draw us closer to God. And it's also 
something that we're not, Peter says, it's something that's not strange. It's something that we should expect and not be surprised at. Scripture makes a distinction between God's purifying discipline of the church and his final judgment and condemnation of the wicked. And so when we are, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world at the final judgment. 1 Corinthians 11.32 says, But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. I'll read that verse again. Think about this. But when we are judged, and so when are we judged? We are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. There's a judgment day coming. And yes, the scripture does say that we're all going to come face to face There's a, to, with God in that, on that judgment day. But as believers, we don't face, we will not face God's final wrath and condemnation on our lives. As a believer, we do not need to face that. Even though we are going to be judged, but we're going to be, we're going to be given rewards and not God's condemnation and judgment on our lives. And then in verse 18, it also, in our text, it it can appear to be saying that it's going to be fairly difficult even for the righteous to be saved. He asks the question there in verse 18, And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? If God uses... Severe trials to purge sin from the righteous. And if the process of of salvation is difficult, think of how much worse the day of judgment will be for the godless and the sinner. You know, we face these, we may face the hard things in life. And for some people, it will cause them to go astray and to drift away from God. And there will be people that give up their faith because it doesn't seem worth the fight. And so if you're tempted to bail out of the faith when when facing trials, ask yourself, if you want to bail out, ask yourself, where else will I go? You may be facing hard things in the here and now, but if you bail out and if you leave and if you forsake your Christian life, where else will you go? What other judgment will you face? It will be way worse judgment than any of the trials that you go through now. And so I think of that as many, many Christians are persecuted physically. For them, this physical persecution that they face in the here and now is nothing compared to that final condemnation and God's wrath on a person's life. Where does suffering come from? Verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. Is it God's will that you suffer? Peter gives encouragement on, the, on, what, we, on what we are to do in and through our suffering and the trials that we face. Because he says, God allows it. God will allow it. He uses even the evil 
intended by man for the good of his people and for the refining of our faith. But he does give us hope here also. And he gives us direction in what to do in our suffering. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Commit the keeping of your souls to him in well-doing. Keep on doing good, no matter what you face. Be faithful. That's what Peter is telling the people here as he is writing. Keep doing good and be faithful. God is faithful and he will keep every promise that he has made to us. He didn't promise that we wouldn't face trials and persecution, but he warns us that it's coming. But there are promises that God does keep. And there are many in the scripture of the promises of God. He will never leave us and forsake us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. He causes all things to work together for our good if we love him. God is faithful. And as Christians, we can expect trials. Don't be surprised. More than that, by God's power, we can rejoice in them. We can rejoice in the hard things that we go through. When we have God's spirit within us, we can rejoice. And it is for our goodness that God does the things that he does to us. To make us more like himself and to be like him. So let's be faithful as our God is faithful to us. Kneel with me for prayer.